Hello and welcome to another edition of the DevOps Podcast. As always, the views represented in this podcast are the individuals alone and do not represent the corporation they work for. Thanks and enjoy. This is great. I wish I could work with you every day like this. I got to move to Austin. We get a lot done, that's for sure. That's true. All right. So basically, we wanted to uh, just have this be a conversation about, you know, um, you, you're sitting in a very unique space, right? You got to be here at ServiceNow and you ushered in the ITBM practice, right? Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. Like, tell me the history of what you got to see there and and create. Sure. Yeah. So uh, for those that don't know, I've been in ServiceNow three and a half years. And I came in just as we were starting to put together what we then called IT business management. I was with Hewlett Packard Software before that and uh, in the ALM Agile space as part of that. And uh, so it made sense for me to come in here and do similar kind of thing with the Agile and uh, PPM products, and which we put together under IT business management and launched it as ITBM. Uh, it's kind of a new name for a product set as of uh, the end of 2016. And that was just a tremendous experience, actually, because it was ServiceNow was really just getting into the space. It had some PPM and Agile capabilities for quite some time, but really put a lot of effort and and investment into the products, really put together something that really took advantage of the platform. And that was kind of the first experience I got of how you can really leverage what we're doing in the rest of ServiceNow. And as we say now, making the world of work work better for people. Um, The the notion of getting all of that together in one platform and managing work in the same platform uh, from a project point of view, an agile point of view, and all the planning that can go along with that just made so much sense. And uh, being able to talk to customers about that. Customers that are very happy about using the platform and want to put more into the platform uh, was a great experience too, so. Very cool. Yeah, and I really landed some key people in the industry, like uh, some folks that I want to get on this podcast, like Mark Bodman and, and folks that are, you know, Absolutely. have sat on the IT for IT groups. And Just the incredible team all around that product on application portfolio management side. You said Mark, who's uh, very well known in the enterprise architecture community and has done a great deal of work with uh, APM, and as you say, is is on the uh, the actual committee for uh, IT for IT. Great resource to have in the, in the platform. Uh, I worked a lot with Scott Fuller as the product marketing, uh, sorry, product management lead for the ITBM product. And he really got, when he came in, he really got about how we can leverage what's on the platform again and just make the most of the products in, in ITBM for people who are already using ServiceNow. Nice. I think that's a key thing. So. Very cool, man. So I guess we should probably mention now that we are both in a new business unit that's been that's formed. Right. So tell us about the, uh, you were here before I was, so tell us about the DevOps BU. Yeah, so now as of, I guess it's been about a year or so in the making, uh, more than that in fact, uh, in quick terms of pulling together the, uh, the business unit around DevOps, uh, but really sort of got legs when uh, RJ Junendra came on as our general manager to run the business unit. Uh, he's been in Electric Cloud and Oracle and is very well known in the industry from a DevOps point of view pulled the team together and with uh, product management and the development team. 
a really amazing uh, group of people helped put together the product from development to get started. And, uh, and now here we are, uh, we're just getting ready to fully launch our product at the end of this year, already doing a lot of great testing with customers prior to that. And, uh, and of course, you've been in this space quite a bit yourself. I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know where, well, tell us about your experience actually <laughs> since you joined, coming into the team. I'd say uh, I dabble. Yeah, I dabble. absolutely. Uh, More than dabble. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm super, super, super blessed and excited to be here. I mean, it's uh, I've been at ServiceNow just over three and a half years, actually. I think we started right about the same time. Right. Uh, I started in an advisory consulting uh, capacity as, you know, like an ex-executive in the Inspire team. And uh, yeah, I, prior to this, I was an executive at Bank of America trying to teach a 200-year-old bank how to do new tricks. And right. uh Failed miserably, quite frankly, and I don't, I don't mind admitting that to the world. But uh, I learned a ton. So we can get into that uh, some more. That's yeah, we should go into that for sure. Could be another how, podcast. <laughs> how not to do <laughs> DevOps? <laughs> uh, no, it, it it truly was a, a, a tremendous amount of lessons learned, and uh, so much so that I was blessed to get to travel with like Gene Kim for nine cities when I got here to service now, and it was literally to tell that story, like uh, what worked, what didn't work, why did it fail, right. what did we see. Um, and yeah, so since the, the moment that I got here to ServiceNow, I came straight from a safe background, scaled agile framework. And mm -hmm. um, I was looking at all of the products, trying to learn the ServiceNow portfolio. And I'm like, why did nobody come try to sell this to me when I was at the bank? I, three of the things immediately that jump out were things that I needed, had on a reference architecture, but had no one in the industry that made one. So of course the answer was, we'll build it ourselves. Right. And it'll only cost 20 times more than it should and employ another 100 people to try and build software that already exists at a company that just really wasn't marketing to the DevOps space. So um, so I'd been on a soapbox saying, you know, we should be selling to DevOps. We should, we've got all these products that can do these great things. And uh, now I'm just ecstatic to see that we're, we're, we're finally getting a DevOps BU and we're really going after it and we're really bringing new products into market. So that's what we're here to talk about today, really. And uh, yep. yeah, so I'm super, super excited uh, to be able to be a part yeah, of the team. Yeah, it's a great time. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming. And uh, it's funny, when I, I think back to my because I, I, I don't have a long DevOps background, more of an agile background, I guess. But when I first started getting into DevOps at ServiceNow, it was a lot of your slides and, and some of the other uh, slides from some of the early pioneers, if you like, at ServiceNow started spreading the message. And yeah, it, together. you know, it wasn't just me. There was an entire uh, field, a DevOps working group that was just mm -hmm. a bunch of people that it was basically if you'd had DevOps experience and if you were also of the mindset that ServiceNow should be doing something in this space, we all just kind of started grouping together and then pretty soon it became a once a week meeting and then it was like, hey, it started to gain some momentum, but it was mostly field led. Um, but yeah, it was really, really cool when we saw the BU form because it was like, yes, finally, somebody's doing it. Well, um, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, our customers like to do f or, or do first sometimes in the yeah. products that we, we develop, they, they do it first and they, uh, they experiment and they sort of get an idea of how much we can make use of the platform and what you're already doing. And uh, we've learned a lot from our customers as we pulled this together. And thank yeah, you to them great. for all the help they've given us on this. No, I think that's a really good segue, too. And uh, we, we brought slides because that's what we do. Yeah. Um, but We're marketing uh, guys, we do that. It, it definitely helps us frame our conversation. But we wanted to kind of bring talk today about just some of the key messages that we've been building towards, right, and that we're releasing later this year. Uh, the one that we have to put in here, uh, because <laughs> we are marketing guys and yeah. we tend to we tend to promise stuff. the world we may make some <laughs> stuff up while we're here. You we know, may. We it may. sounds good. and It's going to get us some follows and views. We're going to be uh, we're going to tell you all the things we can do. Um, no, but anyway, this is a safe harbor. It's all forward looking. Um, we plan to release product later this year, and it could change a hundred times before it comes out. But these are the visions and goals and, and things that we know that are being worked on, and the directions that we know we're taking. So that's what you get today. But uh, 
do not make any purchasing decisions based on the information herein. Uh, and I'll let the lawyers handle the rest. But yeah, yeah. we just wanted to get that out of the way. Yeah, we're adopting DevOps principles, right? There you go. That's right. That's right. Pivot quickly, innovative. fail fast, exactly. uh, and all that good stuff. Exactly. Um, yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about basically. You know, I think this this podcast really came about because you and I spend most of our days when we can. Like truly, it's a blessing to get in front of customers. But um, I think you and I both riff pretty well in front of customers and talking and kind of working off of everybody. And you coined this term that I. I just absolutely loved and, and I remember you kind of trying to shy away from it a little bit but uh, being a car guy I thought it was brilliant when uh, we've, we were trying to talk about the value message of you know what is ServiceNow's real value message in the DevOps space and blah 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 and it was you know very lots of analysts and lots of big think was going on and uh, literally you just were like you know we want them to be fast not furious and uh, <laughs> I just thought that was brilliant and uh, you know, I think we've we've run with the marketing message a little now, but I, I truly can't think of a better way to say it. So give me a little bit of background on how you came up with well, Fast Not Furious. It, I'm, I'm hesitant about it because I'm not sure everybody knows about the Fast and Furious movie franchise. <laughs> Maybe they do. There's so many of them. Well, there's like 14 you movies now. Know, so. right, yeah, right. Um, but uh, it just to me, it really fit when we talk a lot about, or, or a lot of the things I learned early on about DevOps was... The, the reason you're trying to bring development and operations together is because there's this friction between the two, right? Everyone yeah. talks about the friction or problems between development and operations because the lack of communication or uh, because, you know, for whatever reason, you're trying to bring these two teams together. And, and so people talk a lot about friction and developers getting mad at uh, the operations team for not moving fast enough or for holding up their releases. So it just seemed to fit to me to be... Fast, not furious, and I know you're such a car guy. It, it, it certainly resonates <laughs> with you. So if it oh, resonates sure. with you, it resonates with a few people. And of course, and you explained this very well. Maybe I'll, I'll let you take us through the slide here. But it's all about the speed that uh, the DevOps is trying to achieve. I mean, that's really. I, I was thinking earlier on. Sometimes you, we sh maybe should talk about a definition of DevOps. But then again, you ask ten different people, and you get eleven different answers about what DevOps is. But the yeah. key thing is. A, a business, particularly a large organization that we're trying to help with ServiceNow, is really focused on trying to be more innovative and, and do that much more quickly than they, they typically have in the past, or certainly quicker than their competitors, right? That's right. what they're looking for. So they're trying to get faster, and Agile was kind of the nirvana and the big answer that everybody was going for, and uh, we'll get to this when uh, we start talking about some of that, uh, where it all fits, but um, it's not the answer by itself, right? You, you need a broader perspective, you need to bring in the upside, uh, and so you need uh, not just the speed, but you need that communication and the connection between dev and ops, and, uh, and uh, avoid getting in the way, if you like, of developers and making them furious. So. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I've watched the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't feel old, but I'm getting older every day, <laughs> and in the industry now, I've got over 20 years, which just seems mind-blowing to me. You must have started when you were 12. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I've heard of kids getting starting. A, yeah, there you go. They're writing Oracle DBA code when they're like eight and nine yeah. and putting away for their college fund. But um, no. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm 21, 22 years in now. And uh, yeah, it's been very interesting to watch because I started, I started my career as a developer. And then I realized I really, A, hated development and B, wasn't very good at it. So um, yeah, those were two reasons to really kind of switch. But the other side of it was I, uh, I, I basically had run a project that I pitched to the federal government coming straight out of college. There was this Head Start Foundation I worked for, and I was like, hey, yeah, uh, 
why don't you guys do like a web database? Because that was a big deal back then. There yeah. was no cloud. This was 97, 98. And uh, no cloud. There was none of that discussion. It was just like, hey, we could put a database and make it a website. And that'll be amazing. And so we built this. Uh, we sold it to the government. Uh, got like a $300,000 grant to go build OMIS. Outcomes Measurement Information System. Yes, okay. uh, that was the terrible name we gave it. Um, we weren't marketing then. <laughs> <laughs> but we sold the OMIS, and uh, then it was on me to go build the OMIS. And uh, it was really funny because I remember uh, we wrote it in Visual Basic. Yeah, it was wow. Microsoft SQL backend. Uh, it was terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, but anyway, it worked. And but the interesting part was I had to build servers for the first time. Ooh, these mystical servers. Oh, wow. And I remember spending a huge chunk of the budget on uh, these two big old behemoth. They weren't even rack-mounted servers. They were towered servers at the time. And uh, I spent every waking moment in that data center. Like, and I'm not kidding. I had, a, I had a serious you know, relationship back in college, and then we broke up. And I literally had a dog. That was it. And uh, <laughs> we built our data center. And there was an apartment complex right next to it. And I tell everybody this story. We had a, I had a network cable coming out of my office, running along the fence and up into my bedroom of my uh, apartment so that I could get on the corporate network from work or from home. So I right. never left work. And when my wife went, met me, she was like, this is hilarious. You never leave work, do you? And I'm like, not really. Um, but yeah, to. so I loved the infrastructure stuff, though, and I, I found that I loved the servers. I loved the HBAs and the SCSI adapters and the, you know, just all the, it was the gearhead of me. It was the car stuff, right? It was yeah. like, this will make it go faster, and it was just great. Um, but yeah, so I, then I spent like the next 14 years of my career in infrastructure, uh, building data centers. I was, I was truly blessed, and I got a, then I, you know, stepped up my game and, you know, I was working for a company, and the, the CIO at the time said, hey, we got to build this new data center to co-locate everything out of our data center that sucks, and we keep losing power. You up for the task? And it was me and two other dudes. And we were like, I, I guess. Never done this before. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was great. We worked with Hitachi and Compaq at the time. This was back in the Compaq days. This is before their HP acquisition. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. But you know, the thing of, and the reason I'm giving you all this background is that I, I think it's interesting when I watched the, the entire industry change because we were basically all of, it was planning and operations. I ran the planning uh, systems engineers of which there were two of us. Right. And then my one of my best friends ran the operations side of which there were two of him, right? For this basically a million dollar a day company. It was like a $300 million small company. But it was really cool because we had like 40 developers that would write code and <laughs> We used to call it the Friday bomb, right? It's like Friday afternoon, they go to do a release, they throw the bomb in, and our weekends are ruined. And uh, none of them get the pager, none of them get the nightmares of having to figure out, you know, all this crap that happens. And yeah, it there was a huge animosity. I mean, if I saw these people on the street, it was just like, there was no love. There definitely, was <laughs> zero love. Definitely a few furious people around. Oh, man, totally <laughs> furious. Uh, and then, then I, you know, I giggle because now I look... What, six, uh, I don't know, so many years later. And uh, this whole concept of DevOps was just like, wait a minute, you want us to be nice to each other? <laughs> you, want, you want us to be nice to them and work together? Like, uh, no. <laughs> like, bad blood, man. We're not, we can't do it. This is like the Crips and the Bloods. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it's amazing. But now when you see it happening, you see what really happened in my mind was that, uh, the people with the purses, the people with the money bags that were writing the checks were like, they were sick of it. They're like, right. first off, Agile needed to happen because <laughs> they'd fund a project and it's six months in and they haven't even seen the first line of code. 
and because everybody's doing waterfall pl no programming and planning and there's no visibility into what are we actually going to build and it's like you know gene always talked about these uh <laughs> these enterprise architects that would come out of their ivory tower once a year with all these requirements and plans and then they'd throw them on the desk and then walk back to their ivory tower and be like good luck yeah and uh and yeah that all that stuff's very real but this this whole concept of devops is really neat to me because it's like it really is bringing back like okay what is our real goal well we need to innovate quickly we need to help these companies realize value quickly mm -hmm. and uh, so yeah it's neat to see but but then we talk about the right side of this slide which uh, you know I don't think a lot of this industry realized was gonna be so hard to do like I, I will I will recommend like when I took the job at the bank no clue how hard it was going to be to get through regulations and regulatory compliance right. and change management release management and GRC like all of it was a nightmare and there are so many organizations that are under some kind of regulation, right? Whether oh. it's finance or healthcare or government or yeah, uh, nowadays, retail and yeah. many other environments where there's some kind of pretty much all of them, like almost all the G2K. I, I yeah. imagine it's you know you got your basic ones like SOX, which is just your very basic Sarbanes-Oxley stuff. Then you got every healthcare has got HIPAA, every financial services has got the SEC breathing down their neck. Exactly. You know, and then we get crazy that now I've started going to your homeland over overseas in EMEA and. Man, you say the word GDRP and GDPR, or yeah. GDPR. Sorry, yeah, they are. I even yeah, said the acronym it. wrong. But uh, yeah, everybody yeah. cringes in the room because it's like, oh dear lord. Yeah, yeah. Um, workers' councils and everything else that comes into yeah. running a business. It's, uh, yeah, so it's neat because you know I see yeah. that like, so so that brought up this big question, right? And that that was the whole gap is like, how do you go from this world of, you know, guys like me who it was us versus them, it was all this you know, head pounding, it was all this fighting and infighting, and it was, oh, it's their code that's wrong, and they're like, no, it's your infrastructure that's broken, and you know, we go from that to it's like, oh, now we wanna work together, because we gotta get quality stuff out. Um, and then everybody was like, well, let's do what the Unicorns are doing, right? Let's do what the Yahoo's and the Googles right. and Wealthfronts and all these other companies are doing, and it's like, uh, we have a problem. <laughs> None of those companies are regulated, we are. So, you know, I think that's really kind of a, an interesting thing where you said fast, not furious, because it's like uh, these regulated companies, there's no option to be furious. Like they have right. to be controlled. Right. And, and well, yeah, and we're finding that more and more. It's interesting because the more well, you've seen this, we talked to a lot of customers recently and, and change from an ITIL point of view. And I'm using <laughs> that scary four letter word, but uh, <laughs> it's it's. Uh, it's essential for those companies, right? And they're, they're, what we're hearing more and more is it's not going away, right? There, there is this talk about if you make the whole DevOps tool chain more secure and more controlled, then maybe you get through that and you don't need a change process at the end. But that's not the case today, at least, and not in a lot of large and regulated organizations, right? We're not hearing that at all at this point. Uh, everyone's still talking about, if anything, they'd like to do more change control Mm. But they don't want to put it on top of an existing DevOps team because they just know that they're going <laughs> to. There's, there's no way you can put a 21-day process on top of somebody that's trying to release multiple times a day. Um, so until you can do something about that, you, you just can't add controls or you can't extend what you're doing today. Uh, and on top of that, as as uh, you can tell us the story of the the customer you talked to to who, uh, who who just has is running out of capacity, right? The the Oh yeah, the change team that can't change, keep up. Yeah, the change. I mean, the rate of change. <laughs> is I feel like that could be right? insert customer here. Like, if you're well, not right. experiencing it yet, you're going to at some point. You're right. gonna have a change team that can't keep up. Right. Uh, right. It's just. It's and you want to keep adding impossible. new people, or, or I mean, even then, you probably you know, the, the rate is gonna get so fast. Yeah. 
uh, and and of course everybody's as we saw from a lot some analyst meetings recently right eighty percent of companies or something are already deploying products using DevOps um, and and pretty much everybody is has DevOps teams but as we scale up uh, particularly our customer set you know the large enterprises they're finding that a real challenge oh yeah to to do that at scale yeah that one analyst that we met with like, blew me away the fact that not only is it like yeah, 80% of them have adopted DevOps. I was like, well, that's good. I'm glad the industry is making that shift. Right. The shocking thing for me was like, but 80% of them have seen no increase whatsoever in exactly. release frequency. And it's like, well, what are they doing wrong? Right. And then you start to see like, uh, well, we've, we've posted that Klaus Leopold video so many times now because it's so epic. That, so <laughs> that Austrian guy, he's hilarious. But it's this whole idea that teams will like, one little development team will become agile and then they're like well, we're agile and they're yeah. off celebrating meanwhile the entire value stream nothing else has changed it takes six so, months still to release <laughs> something. Right. it takes uh um you know we only have quarterly meetings for idea generation we only have monthly reviews for this and that and exactly. so it's like yeah you're releasing code every night but does it make it to customers hands it's like oh no no we can't get it to customers hands that fast it's like then what the heck you didn't move the needle yeah. at all it's like well hey man we write code fast Great. <laughs> and it's, it's just, I think it's just growing and growing because, I mean, you talk a lot about infrastructure, and my infrastructure experience goes back to mainframes. That's how oh. old I am. Um, and, and actually, that's kind of, kind of my programming and debugging experience. We were the guys that kind of, we were going to replace all those mainframes. Those, those don't exist that's anymore, right? right? Yeah. Those, those are all it's gone. Amazing how they're still around. <laughs> Uh, but uh, you, know, you made me lose my train of thought now. Oh, sorry. But, I didn't but mean no, that. what I was thinking was infrastructure now is moving over to the development side, right? So it's yeah. even more uh, a question of change management of, of what the developers are doing as they, they create infrastructure as code. Yeah. Uh, and that's yet more uh, change that uh, a lot of companies are going to want to keep track of. Yeah, that's the craziest thing now is like, uh, you know, everything, everything in not only the IT industry, but even like our home life. Like I was just showing you my car it has an app that you can do car. everything from your car and it's like car by code. Right. And it's like not like a, I mean, then you look at Tesla's self-driving cars and go, like all these new things are like, it's all code. It's, it's all software features. It's all potentially buggy. <laughs> That's what I fear. Well, let me introduce your car to me and say, and here's the app and here's how to start yeah. it before I get in and keep it cool. And Preconditioning. Preconditioning. <laughs> That's right. And then, and then, uh, yeah, you want to charge it? Okay, I'm going to yeah, yeah. program the charger. And, uh, yeah, but then there was the scary part when we're driving and it sees the line and it swerves us into the next lane because well, the line yeah, went through. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. that that's the QA stuff that it's like, aha, did they really test this or is this thing yeah, going to drive me right into the wall? change probably shouldn't have made it into production. <laughs> right, I'm thinking that change should that, have been vetted a little we harder. We some change management. There you go. So, yeah. so yeah. we still need change management is the, uh, the long-winded way of saying that. And crazier, <laughs> like that what we're just joking about but is is so real it's like mm -hmm. the faster you move the more important it is to have controls Absolutely. like it, it just it, if you think of like when does a car have a parachute on it well when i'm at the drag races when i'm trying to push 300 miles an hour right mm -hmm. that's when we put extra safety on it right. we don't take safety off of it we, we put more safety in it better yeah. brakes better cooling and roll cages and a parachute sure like, and I'm sure there are, you know, you make uh, color changes to a website or something, it's not going to take a lot of uh, yeah, controls no. or anything like that. Oh, but, exactly. But, but most organizations are doing a lot more important things than color changes to right. websites. Right, 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 exactly. Yeah. But yeah, no, it, it's it's really interesting. And this stuff, you know, we could go on and on probably with many analogies from that, you know. But yeah. the, the reality is, is it's 
it really is something we're seeing is that you know there's I, I, it's been crazy to me i'll be honest is some of the research we've kind of uncovered just mm -hmm. uh by talking to companies that you know when you start asking companies you'll you'll say you know what percentage of your changes do you think really need to come before the cab or do you think could be potentially automatically approved if we had a system that had a way to do mm -hmm. you know business logic rules that said if you meet these conditions then automatically approve this change and when you ask them they're like 80 percent or more and i'm like no and they go no honestly probably 80 percent of our changes right. we sit down and we go ah, approve ah, approve right. and it's the things like you said it's a color change or it's a logo change or an image update or a, we want to change this link from this to this or whatever it's all these little cosmetic ui tweaks and tunes um but yeah, hardly any of it is actually, you know, major functional code changes. But, uh, but you know, I mean, the fundamental part of this was, though, is those change practices. You know, we talk negatively about them. I, I don't know if, if you ever did, but I, I did. I hated them. Cab meetings to I me were the, they were the bane of my existence. Mm -hmm. um, and they were a joke for the most part. I mean, we used to laugh. We're like, we're going to go into this meeting and I'm going to sit here and tell you, you know, these are all the changes we're going to make in production this week. And you're going to go, well, are they going to cause an outage? And I'll be like, I don't think so. Right. <laughs> and you're going to go, well, what have you done to mitigate it? It's like, well, I looked into it, and so far I haven't seen anything that says there's going to be an outage. Exactly. And then you go, okay, well, I guess we approve it. <laughs> it's like, right. okay, why did we have this meeting? And, uh, you know, it, that's the funny part is when you hear about the unicorns, like uh, Gene tells a story about Google, which I love Gene, by the way. I'm probably going to say his name a thousand times, but he's just such a brilliant researcher, and he's seen so many companies like you know, for every one company I've seen, he's seen a hundred more. Like, and it's just brilliant when you see more and more stuff. What I like about Gene is, in uh, in the DevOps Handbook, he and his colleagues wrote that ITIL is still important. You can't. Oh yeah. I mean, you can't just ignore it. You, what you want to do is automate it. But. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a myth that you're talking about, and it's the myth that uh, DevOps replaces or or is not compatible with ITIL. And right. uh, you know, as an operations guy for years, I never really drank the Kool-Aid of ITSM. I, I just, you know, I never really drank the ITIL Kool-Aid at all. Right. Um, I wish I would have because I, I wrote a blog about it a while ago that said, you know, for probably eight years I've been doing everything as a service right. incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> Not because I didn't want to do it correctly, but just because I didn't know about ITSM. I wasn't trained in, you know, ITIL and, you know, requester, provider, taxonomy of service in between, like none of that stuff. And uh, to me, it was all very boring. It was cab meetings and right. process and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, that stuff's not exciting. Um, but now when I look at it, I'm like, oh, but I could have done this so much better had I actually taken a service mentality towards it. Mm. But but yeah, I mean. Well, tell us the Google story. You were going to tell us the story. Oh, yeah, the Google story. the Google story. Yeah, I tell this one all the time. But um, it's because it's one of my favorites. Jean tells me a story about a new developer she starts at Google. And uh, she writes her first widget or that's going to do something. And she goes to her leadership and says you know i you know i think i'm ready to go to production with this so, you know when can i release this and is it ready and <laughs> he literally turns back at her and goes uh i don't know is it ready and she goes what <laughs> he's like you wrote it right no one at this is company will know will know at all whether this code is ready more than you will so we have a you break you buy mentality here at google <laughs> you're ready We'll publish it. And she goes, but I could affect every Google product. Yeah, you could. But that's what we do here. Right. It's like we develop, we iterate quickly, we get stuff into production. And yeah, so I love that theory because, you know, every company wishes, or the developers wish they had that kind Absolutely. of control, that yeah. kind of access to production. 
And if you're failing fast with small changes and that are easy to revert, revert <laughs> yeah, then then maybe you can do that. But uh, again, a lot of the people we work with on a day-to-day -day basis just. Uh, that's not a possibility. Well, and so let's address that, though. Why is it not a possibility? It's regulations. It's governance. I, I always have a hard time figuring out what to call it, but the reality is you're trying to avoid downtime. I don't, mm -hmm. care, I don't care how you gussy it up, you know, risk mitigation, you know, all this other stuff. You're just trying to avoid downtime because it is insanely expensive to companies. Right. Your market share losses, your stock price drops, your, you know, customer satisfaction reductions, people just go into the next, you know, everything is bad mm -hmm. if you have outages. Um, so yeah, so we talk about it a lot about operations management and the impact that that has on DevOps, but again, it seems like it's a fancy way of saying, we just gotta make sure that we don't bring systems down when we're releasing code as quickly as we want to. Right. And that's this whole, you know, speed and agility of DevOps versus safety and control of regulations. So um, yeah, and, and to not be too marketing about it since it's a podcast, but it's it's like, yeah, the reality is we're trying to bridge that gap, right? We're trying to be and in this space. You get to the bridge eventually. Yeah, 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 the bridge is there, man. I love the yeah. bridge. Yeah. Yeah, your hometown of London has a lot of amazing our, bridges. Was it our solution consultants lead who uh, came up with the bridge idea? I think so. Yeah, I think it was I, Maxim. I like to we gotta give big ups to Max. Yeah. Uh, that was a great idea, the bridge. We had scales before and we were balancing, but he's like, no, 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 we're it's we're bridging this. And I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. It was either him or Zaki. I can't remember Zaki, which I think, one. Yeah. Was it Zaki? All right. Big ups to Zaki too. You guys are both. <laughs> you guys are both brilliant. You should join marketing. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this is the idea. We're you know we're bridging that gap between the speed and agility of DevOps and and the control, right? Because you need the control. It, you must have the control in a regulated industry. You can't not, right? Right. right. Um, but you also want that speed and agility to move fast, get stuff into the hands of your customers. Right. So, so yeah, it's it's a really cool place to be, and uh, you know, you've. You've said a couple of times you like the way I tell this story about how, you know, ServiceNow is entering the space because to me, I'm almost entering, when I entered ServiceNow, I was a customer, right? So I had my customer executive hat on. So two kind of unique perspectives. I was seeing the world through an executive's eyes, which everybody acts like that's a big deal. When you're an executive, you only care about three things. And I simplify this for everybody because I really think it's this dumb and this simple. Like if you use the whole kiss mentality, this is it. Right. An executive only sees the world through three lenses. Is this going to save me money? Is this going to make me money? Is this going to put me in jail? <laughs> exactly. And and I joke, exactly. but it really is. Is it a CapEx or OpEx reduction? Is it gonna drive top line revenue and get me more customer base, more market share, more whatever, better competitive differentiation? And the third one is, am I introducing risk that's gonna put me in the newspapers and have me taking a walk right. either out of the company or into jail. We see enough of that happening that people it, need to worry about it. Every day you see it. I mean, you hear these executives say, I don't want to make the front lines unless right. it's for something positive. Right. Um, so yeah, so it's real. So, so I came from that space, customer, executive, financial services. And when I got here, um, you know, I started hearing ServiceNow say, we're gonna create a product beat and we're gonna do this. And I'm like, okay, what are you guys doing? Are you just gonna create another Me Too product that does X, Y, or Z and competes against the Zebia Labs periodic table of 3,000 different products in this yeah, space now? plenty out there. Oh man, so many. Um, or are you gonna do something that's really strategic and really, really cool? And uh, this whole building the bridge between these, I think is, is really neat. And we can talk somewhat about it and I think we're going to today, but uh, but yeah, I think it's great yeah. that, that we've taken this kind of an approach to it, is uh, kind of solving, you know, a lot of the challenges that other companies are just kind of ignoring or just don't know really the space. They just don't know the ITSM space. Right. They don't know the right. governance space. Right. 
Yeah. Now we'll, we'll we'll admit we're ten years behind the yeah yeah behind the times here, but we're we're going to catch up quickly and do some really interesting new things. Yeah. No. And you and I have had this conversation over uh, over pints even where we we wax ecstatic about the fact that you know <laughs> I think and and I do believe this and I don't mind saying it here publicly and I know you feel the same way because I've heard you say some just brilliant stuff on this is that we if we do things right and we execute the way we have a vision for. Mm. Uh, I think we will revolutionize DevOps. Like I think, you know, they always talk about what's DevOps 2.0 and what's the next right. DevOps or whatever. But uh, and it may be digital product management. You know, we've heard that been thrown around and digital transformation, which makes mm -hmm. zero sense from an electrical engineering right. perspective. Yeah. But from a marketing perspective, we're all in on it. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of that idea of like, you know what could we do if we really leverage our strengths of service management and apply those same tenants towards the world of DevOps? And that's that's really, really powerful to me. Yeah, um, I, I think, and a part of the unique area, and, and you said this before too, that, that gives us a, a way of transforming DevOps and the transforming industry is the, is the kind of end-to-end -end perspective and view that we have with the yeah. platform and everything else we do in service now. Right? It's not just the CICD pipeline or you know some particular piece of it. It's everything from the initial idea all the way through to something running in production and what happens to it once it's in production with the instant problem change, all the other stuff. Yeah, continual well. feedback loops, feedback right. from customers, actual problems and events that are happening in real time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's crazy powerful when I see what we could do, um, yeah. for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're talking about features. We do a little bit of what we'd, yeah, we'd yeah. like to do uh, and things we're gonna do. We'll talk a bit more about what's coming up in the first release of the product and, and yeah so I mean we're seg we're, we're kind of dancing around it so let's just segue to uh, mm -hmm. kind of our the, what I think you know again the reason I give the background over I came to this company with kind of a buyer's mentality right I mm -hmm. was like I had a checkbook I had a, a big checkbook at the bank right. and uh, I you know I jokingly say there were no salespeople <laughs> coming to take my money when I would have given it to service now in buckets and uh, but it just wasn't, we, there was nobody marketing to that space. Nobody was coming to me saying, hey, we have this service portal that could be used as a, you know, a DevOps mm -hmm. portal for all your interactions between all your developers and, and, you know, project managers and application owners and testers and blah, 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 blah. No one came to me and said, hey, we have this HR onboarding app that you could tweak a couple of times and make a developer onboarding. So, you know, right. like all these areas where I'm just like, guys, I needed this stuff. I needed exactly. this stuff bad. Um, but what's really cool, you know, I'll give you my take on this DevOps data model approach because, uh, you know, I've, I've sat and talked about this a little bit, and uh, yeah, so I, I always praise, honestly, RJ, as, especially mm -hmm. RJ and, and Anand and the guys over in the product uh, teams that are actually building this stuff, because we could have, and I say we as ServiceNow like I had anything to do with it. I did not, so it's going to work, yeah, right? Um, but they could have basically said, you know, let's come into this space 10 years, you know, behind mm -hmm. and say... I'm, I'm going to buy, uh, or I'm going to become a source code repository, or I'm going to become a, you know, a Jenkins competitor, or I'm going to compete just against Jira, mm -hmm. or I'm going to do this stuff. And, you know, in many ways, we have coopetition with a lot of those companies, right? We, there's stuff we do, there's stuff they do, there's stuff we both do, um, whatever. But the reality is, what I think is brilliant about the approach we took is this, this brand new data model that they built into the platform, because right. we had this massively extensible platform that was built for you know service management. I mean, we say IT service management, but any kind of service management, any anything. Like yeah. I, I used to make a joke about coffee as a service. Like mm -hmm. if you got an API to a Keurig coffee maker, you got a requester, me, 
you've got a list of things that you need to get. I want cream, I want Splenda, you know, I, I want it this temperature. We and had our knowledge events, we've had. Oh yeah, the brewery uh, stuff the, and the all that stuff. stuff and yeah, those things are great. And, yeah, because it literally showcases anything, anything that you want to run. Right. There's a requester, there's a provider, there's a taxonomy of service in between. Mm -hmm. That model applies for anything, whether it's IT, racing, whether yeah. <laughs> whatever your passion is. Yeah. Um, shopping, you know, requester, provider, and everything in between. Mm -hmm. um, but literally, you could take that to the business world and say, oh, you, you guys could do supply chain management. You can do value stream management. You guys can do the blah, blah, blah. It's like, uh-huh. Is there a requester and a provider and something in between? And you go. <laughs> How many times do you think I've said request your provider and something yeah, in between? Yeah, I think you got that A <laughs> <laughs> few million. Um, yeah, but, but what's cool for me is this model because what we really said was, um, and, and this was important to me as an executive because I had a ton of people, you know, working multiple layers below me um, and, and next to me and, and, you know, people we collaborated with, people we you know, were working with, teams and teams. We, we have this discussion sometimes in DevOps industry where we talk about, uh, you know, Tools, 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 tools. This is my tool chain. This is my, this is my hammer. It's the best hammer in the world. This hammer is better than every other hammer. Blah 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 blah. But the reality is, you know, again, I don't know if it's a perspective thing. I don't know if it's just because I sat in a different place or saw a different thing. But I don't look at tools as just a religious discussion. It's not just Jira is better than this or this mm -hmm. is better than that or this is better than this. I honestly don't care. Right. I, you know, I don't care what the dev teams are using so long as they're very productive with what they're using, right. right? And I think more and more, that's what you're starting to see in the industry is that, um, you know, no executive's gonna care what tool chain their developers are using. What they're gonna care about is, are we seeing the effects of Agile at scale? Are we seeing shippable code to customers increase in release frequency, increase in top line revenue gain, increase in market share, or a reduction in cost? And that's literally what they wanna see. And for me, it's almost silly if we would have a service now come into the market or really any vendor, and I might rough, ruffle some people's feathers, but I apologize. But uh, any vendor to come in and try and pitch you on something to say, replace all of your existing tools with this tool. It's like, it's, yeah. I, I thought you said you were an agile company. <laughs> it's like that agile is about increasing flow of work through the system, increasing mm -hmm. the speed at which you produce. And then you're going to come in here and tell me, well, first we got to retrain your entire staff on how to use this new tool system because ours is better than theirs because it's got four different features. And it's like, oh, man, that's a tough sale. That's a tough sale. No, it's a key element of what we have to do here from our point of view and, and how we can come into this space is you got to work with what people are already working with, right? Yeah. You, you got to make sure developers can stay in the tools that they want to stay in. Uh, maybe we can get into a separate conversation about behaviors, I mean obviously it's not all about the tools, but right. um, and some companies would like to change behaviors and move people to different uh, standardized perhaps uh, tool sets, but in any case, initially at least, you know, the goal should be keep the developers developing. I mean that's what they want to do, that's what we need them to do, that's what we're paying them to do. Uh, so work with the tool sets that they have. Yeah, I, I tend to always, uh, I don't know, I always refer back to the same references over and over and I'm, I'm, I'm sick of hearing them, but I don't know that everybody that, you know, has heard them from me, but, um, you know, I've referenced Nicholas's cars work, you know, from way back when, mm -hmm. when he has, does IT matter? And then he wrote the, uh, the big switch, which was the cloud book. Mm -hmm. But one of the biggest things that still resonates to me in the big switch was where he talked about that every company had a chief power officer that had to generate power mm -hmm. because prior to you manufacturing any horseshoes, 
you had to first generate either mechanical, electrical, or hydropower to run your actual manufacturing hammers, the hammers that are pressing out the horseshoes. Because there was no such thing as grid power. There was now no Edison. back to my era, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Oh, my God. Back to I don't even have an cool. answer to that. <laughs> back when I was a CPO, back when, uh, yeah, that's right. we had our buildings on the river. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, Sorry, I interrupted your flow. No, no, no. That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, but no, but... <laughs> You're right. So you, you but yeah, so Nicholas Carr says the, 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 the flat-out thing, he's like, when Edison was so disruptive with his whole idea of grid power, mm -hmm. it probably wasn't the best power. It probably wasn't the most reliable power. But his sales pitch was, wait a minute, are you in the business of making power? No, man, we right. sell horseshoes. And so that, that entire power organization over there, are they making you money? Oh, hell no, they cost us a ton of money. Right. They're totally drawn. And it's like, then why do you keep them here? I'll give you power. I'll give you as much power as you want. I'm in the business of power. I make power for a living. You could move this entire company somewhere if you want to get off this river. And his sales pitch was so disruptive because it was, you focus on doing what you do well, which is making the best damn horseshoes in the industry. Mm -hmm. And CEOs were just like, yeah, man, why do I even make power? That's stupid. <laughs> and that mentality got into cloud computing. And that's what his whole thing was with the big switch was that same thing was happening in our industry, which it's like, why do you have a thousand server in a small company, a thousand server data center in a big company, a 40,000 server data center, and or 15 of those data centers around the world? You know, I mean, I think it's public information that uh, the IT budget of some of these banks is like $5 billion just for in infrastructure a year. Their annual budget is $5 billion. I mean, it's astronomical to me. But so why do you have that? You're a bank. Don't you want to make money through financial products? Right. Like, why do you have so massive of a budget going to? And so that was sort of the pitch that was being done. But when we talk about that, we're, we're right back to it. I keep hearing it in these DevOps meetings where they're like, keep your developers where they're productive. Mm -hmm. Keep your developers writing code. Right. And it just resonates right back to Nicholas Carr being like, what, what do you want these developers doing? You want to pay them to do audits? You want to pay them to sit in cab meetings? You want to pay them to do change management forms, fill those things out every day? Hell no. You're paying these people top dollar. Have them write code. <laughs> we'll exactly. do the rest. We'll do the rest behind the scenes and, and take it off their plate. But yeah, so that's that you're, you're, I'm sorry, I'm very passionate about it, as you can tell. I love but. it. No, it's great. And it, but that's, I, and we can say a little bit here about what we're doing from a product point of view. Right? Oh, sure. So you talked a little bit about the data model. Um, but uh, the reason we have these other tools around the outside here is that that's the point, is we, we can use our platform capabilities to connect connect to the tools that people are already using and leverage the data that, that uh, is, is being placed into those tools. Avoid developers having to retype data multiple times Yeah. Uh, and uh, automate a lot of the whole process of capturing that data over time, which is particularly important. You mentioned auditing briefly. Uh, anything to do with uh, looking at the information from the end-to-end -end tool chain and uh, particularly from an audit point of view, which a lot of our customers are particularly interested in. is. Uh, the more you can automate that process and make sure you're consistently collecting the same data on a, a regular basis is uh, is a good thing of course so that's a big area we can we can help yeah and we talked i can't even i've lost count of all the times we've heard people say that to us it's just like um yeah so i mean we sh i guess we should tell people you guys don't know our product like we do um hmm. 
Yeah, so there's this whole idea that, and actually we'll show you in a, in a little reference architecture here. It's it's my own graphics, so they're terrible. Um, but we kind of show you that the, like our platform, we basically what our goal was is to build a data model where we're tying together all the data from all these disparate tools. So we're taking your planning in from Jira. We're, we're tying epics and stories. We're then grabbing your commits from GitHub, and we're tying your epics and stories to the GitHub commits. We've got your resources from your HR information and data on resource information. So we're tying your committer IDs from GitHub to actual people and personnel in our platform because we've got that data. We then take that and we tie that to job builds and Jenkins because we've got data coming in from Jenkins telling us what jobs are running to build this code that was committed from GitHub that tied back to an epic and a story that I feel like that, what's the uh, 99 bottles of, or no, the uh, 12 Dubs of Christmas or whatever song where you just keep adding on the <laughs> 12 stuff. Twelve days of Christmas. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Mm -hmm. So you know, uh, and the cartridge in the pantry. Exactly. Yeah, That's how I feel every time I tell this story because it's like we're tying this to this, which ties back to this, which ties back to this, which ties. We should make a song. That would be really funny. We should do the, that. Would uh, be funny. Yes. The I, twelve I, I stages of DevOps according to ServiceNow. Yeah. Sorry, we got watch distracted. Watch for that future podcast. <laughs> watch, watch for that hot drop. <laughs> <laughs> we're coming yeah, to you maybe, live yeah. from iTunes. Yeah, right. <laughs> Writer, producer, director. Yeah, and, and I know you've said this a couple of times, and, and I've really seen positive reaction in the room when you say it. Because all of that, first of all, we're tying all of those pieces together. Yeah. And very consistently capturing the information. Uh, yeah. Which is so important from an audit point of view. Because, uh, again, a lot of the companies we're working with uh, are concerned with, okay, now I need to audit the process. I need to be able to show an auditor that we took a... a, a took our, our development through a consistent process before we released something into production. And uh, very often, and as, as I've learned more from you than, than others, that what the auditors are looking for is an anomaly. That's it. And yeah. Just if somebody forgot to fill in a field huh? or type the wrong thing in a field that generally might make it through the change process but wouldn't make it through an audit process, right? That's something that an auditor is going auditor to drill down into. Yeah, if it's really true. If we're automatically collecting those things from the, the, the tools, then you've got that consistency. Yeah, so that, that part is, it resonates with me very well, because back at the bank, it was literally, I'd get a report every day that if, uh, you know, if someone had access to an environment they shouldn't have, you know, it looked like an anomaly. So boom, mm -hmm. you've got all these people jumping on it to say, is this an authorized, uh, you know, access request? Is this blah, blah, blah? Or do we have a breach? And uh, I would get those reports every day. And it was, it was, I mean, it's good, right? It's it's part of a process put in place to avoid risk, to keep people out of jail. Mm -hmm. But the reality is they're tedious. They're tedious processes most of the time. But yeah, auditors are very, I mean, and it, this isn't a disparaging comment. Like if you have a million records to sift through and mm -hmm. look for anything that's broken and maintain and control risk, if you see, you know, let's say, let's say even a thousand, if you, if you see 900 things that look all exactly the same with the same format with the same data capture you're like oh yeah this is good 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 you're not reading the content you're looking for you're looking for anything that jumps out and so they see like wait a minute this change right here has no information in the you know what, what was your backup plan what was your release what, what was this and if you don't have it it's like well that's that's a, that's a trigger we need to dig into this and then whenever you hear those words it's it's a long day uh, right yeah yeah a lot of uh, effort expended by the team to manage that whole audit process right it takes a lot of oh yeah time for sure. out of people's days oh yeah it was uh one of the major banks that we work with said it was uh three fte weeks of effort to do one audit request so again yeah. taking developers <laughs> they're yeah. paying a lot of money 
very talented individuals, very big brains, and you're saying, hey, I need you to go <laughs> figure out who did this, why they did this, what did you do, blah, 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 document all of this. And it's like, I thought we were writing code. Right. How oh, you can do that later. We need this audit right now. Yeah, it's painful. Um, so anyway, we're, we're, we're dancing around this, but the whole idea that we did uh, at ServiceNow is we're trying to build something that will do automated audit, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's something we should just probably throw out there is that once we capture all the data and we make all the correlations and relationships between all of these data points, audit becomes as simple as a push and a button, right? And it's like, here's the report, here's everything that happened. The data standardization that we're talking about is the fact that when we capture the data from either web hooks or from plugins, we're actually capturing it in a standard format that right. you could have the auditors literally dictate to you, this is what we wanna see. Captured in the template once, mm -hmm. repeat, 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 every single time we get data in, it follows that format. So that's where that standardization comes in. So I, I think that's really, really powerful. Um, yeah. So but yeah. We started out talking about ITIL and change. Yeah. So you want to tie it into the change policies and what we do from the change side then with all this data? Yeah, we haven't really talked about that, have we? Um, yeah, and yet that was the title of our slide. Um, it's kind of a key, uh, key initial use case for <laughs> what we're doing in the DevOps space. So. Yeah, so I remember you guys telling me about some meetings that I, I wasn't in the BU yet, but um, the, it, and literally we've been doing this for three years in the field, trying to figure out what do customers need in DevOps? And, and that was the most pressing, like full stop. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna come into an industry that's 10 years old, <laughs> it's pretty easy to just ask what's missing. What's missing from the equation? Exactly. And uh, like unanimously, the two hot button topics that kept coming up, and we had customers custom building solutions for, were automated change management, which is the ability to automatically uh, gather data on what's in a change, run a risk analysis on it, run a exposure analysis on it, run tests, you know, all the stuff that you need to do, and then say, hey, this passes all of the things that we need, go ahead and auto-approve this. This doesn't even need to go to a cab. And that's where we're seeing customers say that they can offload 80 plus percent of their changes would fall into the category of, of being a candidate for automatic approval. So yeah, so that's what we, uh, we did that in this technology that came out in the ITSM product in Madrid, mm -hmm which if you're not following along with our release schedule, every release is a uh, big city and it's alphabetical. So we had uh, Istanbul after Helsinki, we had uh, HIJ, uh, was Jakarta, uh, then we had Kingston, JKL, Kingston London, Madrid, Madrid, New York, Orlando, is it Orlando? Orlando. Orlando, and I don't, uh, Paris? I'm not sure what B is, I think it might be Paris. Might be Paris, we don't even know what Send B is Send your yet. votes in here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't. don't. I don't want to be the guy that so was responsible for it. Yeah, yeah. That's way above my pay grade. Yeah. Um, anyway, the point is, if you're not following along at home, Madrid, we twice a year we have major releases that are named. That's to help our customers ingest that and uh, adopt it. So um, we are an actual 100% agile development shop. That's my dog's collar. Um, and uh, basically, we, we have the ability to release code very frequently, but it's in order, our customers have requested that we do it twice a year. Um, so yeah, so Madrid was earlier this year. It was, uh, came out earlier this year, and then this uh, this fall we're gonna have- um, New York. New York will be posted, which is yeah. awesome. We got a lot coming in New York, yeah. but. And so change policies came in Madrid as part of our ITSM correct. product capability. Yes, and change policies are that engine that take, um, it's really, a, it's like a three, I always say this over and over, it's a three-factor engine, right? It takes an input, mm -hmm. You can set whatever input you want. It could be when a Jenkins pipeline execution runs off the DevOps tool, which is one of the things we trigger on, uh, self-plug. <laughs> um, 
it could be a, whenever a change request is created, any change request, whether it's through the DevOps tool or whether it's through ITSM, through anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and what it does then is it does a decision tree. So you have input, decisions, and answers. So the decision tree is you set conditions. You can say um, if a person's committer score is greater than 50, and you can set, you know, everybody starts at 50. If you do good pro releases with no bad things, then you, your committer score goes up. Mm -hmm. This is this whole concept of developer karma or developer FICO score. Or we, right. We're calling it 50 different things, but um, it's this idea that you could actually start to give developers greater access the better they are. You know, mm -hmm. The better they historically follow procedures and don't introduce risk, you get a, you get a better pass. You get the right. VIP treatment. You get that red velvet line. Yeah, yeah. Imagine having the ability to deploy directly into oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a live environment. Uh, yeah, and, and actually, well you know, it's really interesting too. I, I, I should throw this out. I, I'm continually humbled by what I learn when I sit down in front of customers. That's why I, I can't mm. stress enough that like, it's a blessing to me to sit down with customers because I get to see yeah, some great conversations. We we write so much crap on whiteboards that we think is right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's be real. We have we have. Well, you might. I, I write very serious, <laughs> important things on whiteboards. And yours is always good. Of Mine course, is yeah. garbage. Yeah. Mine is just no. this pile of dung that we just stack. We <laughs> but no, all joking aside, I mean, I can't tell you how many walls I've covered in post-its of great ideas. Yeah. But until we get out into the field and we actually ask people, hey, what are you seeing? What mm -hmm. are you feeling? It's been a long time since I've been you know, in the seat responsible for getting code into production. And I don't see the, the problems that are caused today by different tools mm -hmm. and different suites. And, you know, I used to know, yeah, oh yeah, that's a firmware update on that HPA that causes that problem. It's like, I've lost all sight of that. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of neat when I get to go sit with customers. But the whole point was that when we sit with customers, they tell us, you know, what what's working, what's resonating, what's not. Right. And from a developer perspective, when we first took this this gig, at least when I did, they're like, our our message probably isn't going to resonate for developers. Right. <laughs> I remember those discussions. Yeah. Right? And I we just and focus on the change manager. Yeah. We had a lot of people say that, oh, only the ops people are going to care about this. Right. And I got to tell you, like, more more than half the time when I'm sitting in the room, if the head of development, any development, is in there. When they hear, oh, wait a minute, you're going to take all this crap off my plate and I don't have to deal with change management again, it's like, yeah, we're going to automatically approve all that or we're going to get human intervention, but you don't have to fill out anything. Yeah. They are like, okay, when can I buy this? I'm telling this to my boss. Like, what does it cost? How do we get this? And it's like, wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> we don't G8 a while. Yeah, but we're glad to see you're excited because we know we're on the right path. But, but yeah, I've been shocked at how many developers have been super stoked about I, and I'm, I'm disappointing myself at just how it didn't occur to me that the fact that we're, there are developers today who have to go into service now. They log in, they enter a change request, and they wait. And oh. you know, days or weeks later, it comes back and says, okay, now you can proceed with your, your deployment, whatever it is. The fact that we can eliminate that completely, I mean, they don't even have to log in. No. They don't have to think about so the change great. request. is going to be created for them from the data that's coming from the pipeline. And they just go through their normal process again, staying in their tools. They wait for their pipeline to complete, and it, it just happens for them. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we, we could talk about it a little bit, but it could get to a point where somebody needs to authorize a change still. Right, right. A human may be involved, depending on the, the type of change. It's not necessarily all covered by the change policy, but uh, I guess the level of risk could determine whether it's... it's uh, no, and that's been the, the other side of this, is the human aspect of it, right? Like I. I've only shared this story a couple of times, but I mean, 
I used to dread going into cab meetings at one company that I worked for because <laughs> the the cab team was notoriously some of the grumpiest people in the organization. And uh, it was real hit or miss. Like you would go in one week and you would have half the information and right. it would get approved because they were in a decent mood. But then you'd go in the next week with twice as much information and be totally ready to go. <laughs> and they would be like, no, nah, we need more than this. We need, we need blah, 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 blah. And that human aspect of like, wait a minute, last week I had half this information and you let well, me right. pass with this. Right. And they're like, blah, 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 right? The, it's just so nice. I mean, I'm just pointing out that humans will be humans, but computers mm -hmm. will run the business logic every time and be, you know, this right. passes this test or this needs, this is going to introduce risk. And it's not going to be perfect, but the good news is we're actually starting to apply even machine learning and, and you know, right. some of our AI efforts on this. So whereas yeah. we're not perfect, maybe with our initial business rules, we can start to have machine learning go, hey, we've done this 100 times and it's been wrong, you know, 20 times. Here's how I think we can fix it. And if you set this condition and this condition, you should see a result that, and by the way, I'm totally speculating on how our ML is going to work. Uh, but it makes sense that that's the no, logic I that would run. I think this is the exciting thing to think about what we could do. Yeah, pattern we, recognition. As we go forward with this and, yeah. you know, uh, apply a, a lot of our other technologies from the platform like machine learning. Oh, yeah. And it's so easy because we have all the data. Mm -hmm. like, that one analyst that said the data is like the new oil of the world. Yeah, I, right. I, I couldn't yeah. disagree with him because it was like, damn, that's brilliant. And he's right because data is, it's just absolutely the most priceless thing in the industry. Um, yeah, it's just the whole idea of like maybe if uh, we've got all the event data, problem incident data coming in, right? right? Now we've got all the change data tied to all the committer data, tied to all the teams that committed that data. Now I can start to make machine learning understandings of, hey, if this team, <laughs> Huh. commits code we're seeing that you know 99% of the time doesn't cause any issues so this team is great you know right. let this team have access to production they, they're they're awesome or 100% of the time they're they're solid right whereas this team over here oh it's ledger ledger's on that team <laughs> <laughs> right. this team has a 60% success rate yeah don't don't give that guy access to any anywhere near production back him. don't we're not even sure we want him access to dev like he can use his own laptop that's right, it right, right. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm a Raspberry Pi and <laughs> let him go and sit in the corner somewhere. <laughs> Give him a big title. <laughs> Put him in the basement. That's right. That's right. Oh my God, that's uh, great. So, oh. so talking of data and finishing out the picture and trying to get back to our oh yeah, our, back our, on track our, to our slides. We got to stay on the slides. We, we haven't really talked much about the analytics side, so and that's the kind of the last piece of the picture for now at least in terms of what we're doing around the product. This is, product I just have to say I'm super excited at how fun this became. We were both nervous about doing this and I'm oh, having a yeah, blast right now. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, we're at 58 minutes. We thought oh we were going to have a hard time filling an hour. <laughs> wow. Okay. So welcome to this first two hour podcast. There you go. That's it. We're coming out with a bang. All yeah, the information. Right. Hope you guys uh, are sitting in traffic. Um, most yeah. of the folks are out in California so you guys will get a good Oh yeah, they'll have plenty of time. Plenty of time. They'll, they'll want us to keep talking. Yeah, that's right. All right. So analytics. analytics. You want to talk about it? You no, want me I'd, to? I'd love to hear you talk about it. Actually. Yeah. Um, so look, uh, I, I guess I'll try and be serious. I'll put my serious hat back on. Um, I, and I don't think it's just executive. From the time in my career when I was just an IT manager, literally like, in you know, individual contributor, practitioner, then frontline manager. Like, mm -hmm. from that moment in my career. Uh, and even as an individual contributor, a lot of times, you are blind without any kind of analysis. Is this working? Is this not working? Mm -hmm. uh, and when somebody comes to you and says, would you bet your job that this is right? 
or would you bet your job that you're doing great or would you bet you know you're like dude i'm blind i have no idea right. i mean we're following all of this stuff that we think is working we're following all these procedures but we have no idea um that's where analytics to me become it, it's almost cheating i mean it is cheating when, mm -hmm. when you have more information then it, it's always cheating you know, it's like the more information the more data you get it, the better it is you can see stuff you've never seen before and why would you blind yourself when you could just have it when you've got all the data like Absolutely. run the reports get the analytics get get the information and you know this is some cool stuff we're doing tonight so we've we've already kind of dropped like some hints at stuff we're thinking about but just mm -hmm. basic analytics of you know how many this team you know how many commits are going in mm -hmm. what's their rate of committal are they truly agile? Are they making their sprint dates? Are they burning down their backlog on time? Are they, you know, from that perspective, the, the one that I love the most is how many commits don't have a story idea attached to them? Like, mm -hmm. come on, why yeah, aren't you, why aren't you just, you're, that's literally pasting your story idea into a commit. How hard is that? Right. Just so we can then run analytics so we can actually tie back all of the work you're doing in your commit to an actual epic and story and corporate planning and financial planning and everything else. All because you were too lazy to copy and paste one little story ID. Right. Like, that's silly. But with the analytics, you can go, and maybe it wasn't their fault. Maybe they're moving fast and they forgot, right? Mm -hmm. Give them the benefit of the doubt. But right. now I can run it and see, oh, look, wait, these are some problems. We're not going to be able to make this chain back unless you just go tie these together in this relationship. And I love so, those kind of examples because I, I, I love anything that talks about how you can help improve or influence behavior. Oh, yeah. Culture, uh, behavior, culture, behavior, for sure. I mean, it's obviously a big part of DevOps. Yeah, you uh, said as well it. As so the communication in DevOps, right? It's all about being able to share information right across the the, the, the teams, across the the whole pipeline, uh, and of course, if you have that uh, in the analytics, in your dashboards. Yeah. So talk about that for a second, because you brought it up briefly, um, and we didn't talk about it. And it's it's almost table stakes at this point to understand if you're in DevOps. But I am a technical guy, and you know, I tend to always geek out on the technology and the, the tools and the whatever, but to give me a little bit of your experience. I mean, you've seen a lot of this at, at scale and, and you know, like, you know, DevOps success is not driven by tools. No, so. of course not. No, it's, it's, uh, but I'll try and relate it to what we're hearing most often now from our customers as we've, we've been speaking to a lot in the last uh, few months, I guess, last uh, period of time. It's, uh, there's a, the biggest problem and the reason that people are turning to us to service now to help them is 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 scale right is getting a lot of companies are trying things with devops they've got one team and they're very successful and they're updating things on a multiple times a day basis perhaps uh you know doing things very very devops like as you'd expect but as soon as they try to apply those same principles elsewhere in the organization or to multiple teams and trying to get the teams working co consistently together, it's it's just a, a major problem, right? Any kind of scaling up of that activity. And so the analytics and the overview from the top for all of that is one aspect of helping our customers, but a lot of it is about behaviors, right? And it's, uh, you, you've, you've talked to a couple of customers have talked about how do we actually, uh, we would like everybody to be on a consistent set of tools but we don't want to force developers to move and we don't want to make them right. you know, retrain and things like that. But maybe over time we could help persuade people to move because if they take this path, then maybe we can go through this like developer karma. There's a developer karma right. path and, and uh, those developers can get you know, more direct access to deployment environments and things like that. So I think there's just a huge amount of opportunity for a platform that, like we have and, a, and an overview system 
that can connect to all the different pieces to help with those kind of more tan intangible, the softer parts of DevOps, right? The, the, yeah. the people and the processes that, uh, that are such a critical part of getting DevOps successful and, and, and actually really delivering value rather than just speeding up a one team you know, right. <laughs> you know, in the middle of <laughs> everything else. I love that Klaus Leopold, he, you know, I, oh, I yeah. won't repeat it, because he literally on the slide, he's like, we are so flippin' agile, but he doesn't use flippin', but, yeah. and uh, he just talks about it, because it's almost comical, some of these teams that are like, right. hey, we won, it's yeah. like, hey, you we're agile. you're not doing anything better, right. uh, anyway, uh, but no, that, that whole point, RJ actually uh, has some, just, RJ is brilliant, by the way, and that's not just yeah, me, he is team. truly super smart, mm -hmm. I want to get him on here and do one of these soon, but, um, yeah. But one of the things he says that is, is really eye-opening to that is when he talks about analytics, he talks about a behavior I didn't even think of, but he'll talk about one of the metrics we have in our analytics that shows um, it's basically uh, issues that have bounced back and forth. So he'll see it in the graphs and he's able to see like, why is this bouncing back and forth and why is the wait time on this for resolution? And he'll say it, he'll say that when I look at that data, I see two teams that are fighting with each other and they keep passing the ball back right. and forth. And he's like, they both need to pick up the phone and fix the freaking problem. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you saw that in the data? And he's like, yeah, look at it, it's right here. This is that, 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 that. They're just sending it back and forth. And right. I'm like, wow, that's brilliant. Like, But that's the sort of stuff as a leader that you're like, oh, you guys are doing that thing again, stop it. This right. isn't making forward progress. Like you're just, you know, it's like three steps forward, five steps back every time. Uh, yeah, it's pretty neat, but you can see all that stuff once you got the analytics to give you the data. Yeah, it's pretty neat. All right, so automation. So the automation part really goes to an example. I mean, we put a demo architecture in here of a demo that's near and dear to our hearts because we've done it a bajillion times at Knowledge and everywhere else. But, um, you know, I think it talks to the, it really is a great demo just from the fact that it showcases like what we're trying to do. And I think if you take that with a grain of salt, you know, this is kind of the architecture of, of what it is we've built to showcase the vision in the future of what we're trying to do. And uh, again, the graphics aren't beautiful. I apologize. I've tried to polish it up like a bit it. here. Like you it. like it? Yeah. yeah. Well, self-deprecation is kind of my deal. So right. we'll, we'll, we'll just you know, have to live with it. Um, but no, so the point is, is this is that whole thing we were talking about from an architectural perspective. And you guys are looking here and I'll actually probably edit this to have the screen go big. but. You know, we start here from ideation, right? So you're looking at your stories, your epics. How did you do your master planning? From a safe perspective, you're in the upper left-hand co corner, portfolio management, right? Then you come through and we're, we're actually tying those stories to something we call work items in our data model. And then if you look across the chain here, it's work items tied to commits, commits tied to job builds, job builds tied to changes. You can take this even further, and we've been doing this with some proof of concept stuff where changes then tie to incidents. We have in the data model, Incidents caused by the change, incidents fixed by the change. You can see event management. We can tie events to incidents, to problems, to blah, 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 blah. We've got this data, so we start tying it all together. And that's really the, the power of the platform, I think, is, right. you know, you've mentioned it. We've been dancing around it. It's when you have this platform that's extremely extensible, is built to manage any service end to end, mm -hmm. DevOps is just another piece of work. Like we, we joke about it, but I've said it a billion times, is we make the world of work work better for people well, when we look at this from DevOps, it's like we make the world of DevOps work better for people or better for developers or insert mm -hmm. whatever you want here. Um, but it really does tie to the message of what we're trying to do. And uh, yeah, so the demo that we do here is we we basically show a developer working in GitHub and Jenkins and they basically make a commit that just changes a simple, uh, it adds a jobs or careers tab to the website. 
And so we're just running an Apache Tomcat website here and it's pretty simple stuff, but it just showcases that I can go into GitHub as a developer, I can write my code, I copy my story ID into the, the uh, commit information, uh, commit file there. Oh, Alex is gonna be so bummed out at me. There's a very specific thing in GitHub, the commit message. Commit message, you I remembered it, it. Okay. boom. Uh, yeah, I was calling it the header and he said, there's no such thing as a header. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Alex is very smart too. I'm not smart, I'm just a marketer. Okay, we have a brilliant team. Yeah, yeah, amazing people. So anyway, shout out to Alex for all your help. Um, and they're the ones that built this, by the way. So anyway, what we do is we tie the commit, the story to the commit in the GitHub. And then that basically allows GitHub to inform us that this commit is tied to these work items and these story IDs and everything else. From that point, Jenkins basically picks up the work that was in GitHub. This is standard development stuff, right? And starts the build. So it starts building the code and it's a Java-based web application. And it basically builds through a four-phase, four-stage pipeline, right? So we have CI, UAT deploy, UAT test, and prod deploy. And so then the the magic sauce that we've put in here is we've basically we've got web hooks into GitHub. That's how we're getting our information back and forth from GitHub. We've got web hooks into Jenkins, and we've built a Jenkins plugin. And so that Jenkins plugin allows us to do what we call automated change management. And so the automated change management is what segues perfectly from the last slide where we had automation in that bottom part. Mm -hmm. um, but what we're basically doing here is as Jenkins is going through the four phases, there's two phases that we actually wanted to make a, a basically a change request for. One is when we're deploying to the UAT environment, we're making an update to an environment, so we need to change. The second one is when we actually push to production. That's when we're making another change to a production mm -hmm. environment. And so what we do, as those jobs are running, Jenkins is reaching out to ServiceNow and saying, hey, can I make this change automatically or do I need to wait? And basically what will happen is, depending on your policies, your automated change policies, Jenkins will either get a response from our server saying you've met all the conditions and your answer is mm -hmm. auto approval, move on to the next stage of your build, or Jenkins will get a notification that says, uh, wait here boss, we gotta go see if we can get the approvals that you need before you can go on. And most of those, by the way, may be seconds, right? It's just oh, yeah. I mean, automatic approval. When these, when these pass through, it's hard to even get a screenshot in the time that it takes. And again, um, in the past, this might be something that developers manually typed in a change request. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To comply with the, all the audit requirements. And yeah. Else. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Instead of, you know, they got to go to a different system, fill out a form. Right. That's, that's best case. I mean, most of the stuff was done still on paper in Excel. Right? Huh. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the worst case is... Uh, please fill out this hard copy form and bring it to this cab meeting where I'm going to fill in all of your information manually into an Excel spreadsheet. Right. Yeah, those were great days. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we, we digress. But the point is, yeah, most That's of the funny. stuff we can... We do that from time to time. <laughs> the good news is in a podcast, you can do that as much as you want. This is okay. all This is all fun. We'll edit this out, folks. <laughs> Probably not, because that's not. more work. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And we're lazy, like, you know, most of the world. Um, anyway... So the whole idea here is that uh, a lot of these demos, I set them up different ways. Like a lot of times it depends on who I'm talking to, but I'll have UAT automatically deploy and then I'll have prod wait, or I'll have UAT wait and I'll have prod wait, or you know, uh, Colin O'Brien's on our team. He does one where he actually has it send him a notification to his cell phone, which is le just leveraging notifications on the ServiceNow platform and their mobile app on our cell phones. Uh, that's a little more advanced than what I've gotten pulled off yet, but it's uh it's quite slick and it demos quite well because he'll actually get a little bring and then he has to approve it and blah 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 it's pretty neat yeah. but the point is all the cool stuff you know we can do on our platform we can apply that to the same devops chain right. and the neat thing is this automation right it's 
a developer makes a commit, from that point on, the developer can go right to their next story mm -hmm. and start burning down their backlog. All this other stuff, all the change management, the data collection, the audit trail, all of it happens without them even knowing. And if they want to see whether or not their build pushed into production, they can go check and the build pipeline will either be paused or will be going through. But for all they know, it, it all goes green and it's in production. They can refresh the site and go, hey, it worked. And then go right back to their next story ID and burn down more backlog. Yeah. I mean, that's literally the nirvana, right? Is that it just seamlessly continues to pump innovation out into the website, into production environment, mm -hmm. getting it into the hands of customers, driving value for the organization, and increasing flow throughout the system. Okay, I think you checked all the boxes. Did I? Yeah, Did well, I get them all? Okay, yeah. yeah. Cool. And on the 12th day of Christmas, <laughs> my... <laughs> anyway. Very good. 16 right. changes tied back to the job builds, then the, then the tide goes oh to them. <laughs> the bonus song there. <laughs> Excellent. Dropping hot beats. Yeah. <laughs> this is fun. We're starting to get a little campy now. Um, anyway. You notice I'm not going to sing. Oh, come I on. Wouldn't, I wouldn't inflict that on anybody. I just want to hear that beautiful baritone come out. Mm -mm. You've got a very ASMR type voice. You know this. say so. <laughs> uh, oh, you gotta, you're going to be looking that up later. I am going to, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. The internet's a weird world. Uh, anyway, so that's, I mean, that's it, right? So that's the architecture. That's an example of what we're doing, automating yep. this entire workflow through here. Um, I got to say, I'm pretty, pretty blown away by the, the just what the possibilities are. Like, right. And we've spent this entire podcast around this one use case, and it's, it's where we are right now from a product point of view. Yeah. Uh, so customers are interested in looking at this and talking to us. The, we can say a little bit more about some of the other things we're looking at. We've talked about some of the future possibilities and directions around machine learning and things like that. You mentioned yeah. very briefly uh, about what we could do with portals. Oh, like, yeah. Like, uh, you know, onboarding developers and, and uh, developer portals and things like that. You know, we have all of this capability in the platform that people are using elsewhere. Uh, any other other things we can think of? That oh, so many. Um, so so the way I make this explanation is, and, and this is interesting because I... I haven't gotten this formally blessed by anybody at ServiceNow, but I've been saying it for three years and no one's hung me yet, so I guess that's a good thing. Still here. Um, the way I talk about this is really there's, there's I look at DevOps and ServiceNow as like there's two paths, right? There's the, there's the DevOps BU product path where we are going to make products and bring them to market as add-ons and features in through the store. That's our mm -hmm. plan. We're going to release through the store, uh, hopefully almost monthly is that right. kind of our, our cadence mm -hmm. we're looking for. And really, it's just to provide as much value as we can as quickly as possible. Right. Um, similar to our friends over at Integration Hub, where they're releasing new spokes all the time right. uh, for integrations. Right. And so that's that's products where we've identified a gap in the industry that we don't have a solution for, and there's not one out there. So we're going to develop products that do cool features. And yeah, we have an entire roadmap out, you know, way out there that's got a lot of really cool stuff in there. Mm -hmm. um, some of my favorite things that are out there are this idea of value stream management. Like as an executive, how do you prove that you're actually driving value? Second question, how do you find where you've got problems in your system? Mm -hmm. We used to call this the water balloon uh, trick whenever I was at the bank, right? And it was like... You imagine all these bank executives playing with water balloons. It just it's actually pretty funny. Kind of, yeah, right. Um, stuffy guys all in suits. Yeah. Been there 18 years. What the hell are we doing now? Some new guy just came in with a bunch of water balloons. Yeah, it went over like a lead balloon. But yeah. Ha, see what I did there? Very good. Anyway. So the idea with the water balloon thing is that um, if you find a problem that's decreasing flow through the system, you squeeze it, and immediately with a water balloon, it 
it bubbles up the next problem and then you squeeze that and there comes the next problem and you just keep chasing where these bottlenecks are and where these flow problems are and, you, and it was it was this very squishy thing because you like the second you move I solved this now I just found another problem mm -hmm. but the idea with value stream management is the ability to plan out you know we've said end-to-end -end a lot and I've had customers say well everybody says end-to-end -end. what does that mean for you and it's like well for me it means literally from the time that somebody first submits hey I think we should have a careers tab on our website right well why what value is that going to drive for us well, I think if we had a careers tab on our website, it would drive blah, 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 blah. Here's mm -hmm. the value we've identified. Yeah, you know what? That sounds good. Let's fund that. Mm -hmm. Somebody makes a funding decision. Somebody allocates resources to that idea. Now somebody's executing on that idea. It's in a backlog. Well, how do we measure if we're actually achieving the value? Well, you got to map the whole thing out, right? And so that's really, to me, the power that I've not seen in the industry. I've not seen anybody do it. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of people claim they can do it, but when you ask them, can you show me a full value stream you know, map of something, right. any process, they tend to go, well, you know, this is what we would do. It would be a consulting engagement. And it's like, oh, a consulting engagement. Yeah, you can do right. anything with a consulting engagement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, I, I kid, I've been in consulting a large part of my career, but, um, but you really can do anything with consulting. <laughs> you can solve any problem with enough hours and enough custom work um, but yeah but the cool part is this idea that we could have an out-of-the-box we've got all the data right. we've got all these points of you know if we can just then I don't know maybe leverage an ITBM and IT financial management component that can assign financial value or you know resource value to a mm -hmm. specific piece of work that might be traveling through a system <laughs> again there's so much in the platform you might just be able to map a value stream I don't know I'm just saying uh, so that one's got me pretty geeked out I like the value stream management thing because I haven't seen one actually you know as powerful as I'd like to in the industry um, but the second piece so I talked about the DevOps BU right those are products that we bring to market where we don't have a solution and then what I'll tell you that we spend a lot of our time doing and watch customers do is leveraging service now solutions that are out of the box and applying them to DevOps areas within their organization. And I think that is, that to me is the two-pronged approach, right? The DevOps BU may never touch that, or we may productize something. If something comes in that's really cool, mm -hmm. I mean, if we're, if we're really, there were a couple customers that had done automated change management, right. and we said, hey, you know, there's some cool work you did there. Mm -hmm. I think we need to do it this way, right? We need our data model to be extensible. It needs to support all this stuff. Right. Um, but fundamentally, the concept was like, gosh, wouldn't it be great if we could just get change management out of the way of the developers? Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've been working on that, yeah. too. But we're having a problem with this. It's like, oh, well, we could probably fix that if we did this and this. Mm -hmm. um, it's that same concept, right? We're just talking to customers, talking to people, finding out what works and continually looking. And sometimes the answer is, hey, why aren't you just leveraging HR onboarding for that? Or why aren't you leveraging right. our platform over here for ITBM? Or why aren't you leveraging this ITSM feature? And I've had a lot of customers that... Uh, I had a huge insurance company that tied into their ITSM initiative, um, a, a DevOps, and it was mm -hmm. basically they had a, this idea of a master release that was uh, a parent release and children releases that were all tied into their ITSM, and it was just how they tracked everything back to ServiceNow, and that's that's not something that was productized. It's just they sat down and said, "Hey, we have all that data. Right. <laughs> Why don't we just tie this together and leverage this for DevOps?" Um, yeah, so so those are kind of the way I look at it. Is there's there's basically a very controlled set of product roadmap where we are building products for DevOps. And then I think there's a much broader, much broader brush where people are leveraging us for DevOps initiatives where right. we can provide value. Um, yeah, beyond the BU per se. But, 
but yeah, and people are very creative. So that's another topic potentially for a future. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. The other uses of a platform and products. Yeah. The DevOps space. That's neat stuff. And oh, and I'd love to get some of the. I mean, we have brethren. We were just talking about some people in a different BU that are, you know, yep. looking at DevOps through a different perspective and a different set of glasses, mm -hmm. which I think is. Uh, it's a little scary, but at the same token, it's also like, oh, you know what? That's interesting. They have a different perspective on this. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what it's all about, right? Learning different perspectives and figuring out how to Absolutely. provide value. Um, awesome. Well, you know, for our first podcast, I feel like this was useful. I don't know if anybody will listen to it. If you did, we love you and we thank you. Yes. Um, and let us know how you, how you feel. Oh, yeah. It. Provide all the feedbacks. We like yeah, the feedbacks. And uh, hopefully there wasn't. More of these? Yeah, you yes. want to hear more of them? Let us know. Is my mic too loud? Is, uh, <laughs> do you love his sultry ASMR voice? We could record an ASMR. I'll just have him read slides to you. you say so. <laughs> he doesn't like his voice, but I love it. I'll his do whatever voice. you say. Really. Oh, I love it. Awesome. Well, right, with that, well, thank you, everybody. And, dude, Richard, thank you so much for coming today. This yeah, was awesome. Thank you. This, this was really a lot of fun. It and love your setup here. Yeah, thank yeah. you. It's great. Yeah, you know, build it and they will come. Uh, you can. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> this <laughs> folks. <laughs>